0: And those relaxing vacation vibes can keep going at the airport in the Centurion Lounge. Just a splash. Before you board the plane, back to reality. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your travel experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.
1: Say hello to a new era of mental health care.
2: If you go to ID10T.com right now slash vintage, ID10T.com slash vintage, you'll see we've uh, we've launched a vintage shop because I love vintage shirts. But now we've also started um, acquiring like vintage vinyl iron-on transfers. I don't know. When I was growing up, every mall had one of those like iron-on shirt stores and it just smelled like hot vinyl. Like there was a specific – if you're a Gen Xer, you probably know what I'm talking about. But it just reminded me of my, It just reminds me of my childhood. Uh, and you'd pick out the transfer you want, and you'd pick out the shirt, and then they'd smush it on there with that big, giant um, iron-on press. Well, we got one of those iron-on presses. And so we've started getting, you know, like vintage vinyl iron-on uh, decal things and also uh, vintage shirts. So we're putting them on new shirts and vintage shirts and just experimenting and having fun. That's what we're up to. So if you go to id10t.com slash vintage right now, we just put up the, a Space Invaders one and then a Dracula one I'm, I'm honestly having so much fun it's just like a piece of my childhood when i was a kid i'd go into those stores and be like man it'd be so cool to make whatever shirt you wanted whenever you want and so now we're doing that we've realized that dream from our childhood so there you go id10t.com slash vintage let's talk about you the id10t community cork board Events at ID10T.com, like Christina who writes, please check out my brother's podcast, Audio Obscura. Each episode, Michael and David test their listening chops with an audio mystery. Michael and David are both improvisers and science bros, quote-unquote, so they both get silly and sciency in their detective work. It's a blast to listen to and super fun to see if you can identify the audio mystery before the hosts. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Excellent. Thank you, Christina. Thank you for, for sharing that. For anyone else out there, events at id 10 t Com. Let's talk about this episode. This one is uh, this is very very fun special thing because it's it's it, I I was able to sort of put this podcast together uh, because I love entertainment auctions. Uh, I love watching them, even if I don't actually buy anything. I just I just like watching them because it's sort of like a trip down pop culture memory lane. And online auctions have become huge. You know, there was a big Disneyland one a few years back and, you know, it's just this This one guy had this collection and, you know, sold it all, you know, for millions of dollars. Like there was just this crazy – not that – I don't think the entertainment stuff is about – the memorabilia stuff is about money at all. But it's just – it's gotten really – it's it's kind of mainstream, you know? And there's all types of auctions. There's, you know, coin and stamp and baseball card and furniture and jewelry and stuff. It probably wouldn't surprise you to hear that I really love um, the entertainment auctions. Because to me, it's just like watching pieces of history pass through uh, and get uh, basically um, – Curated by private collectors because there's not really, and we talk about this a little bit in the podcast, but there's not really like a there aren't like pop culture museums, really. There's one in Seattle, um, uh, but and I know George Lucas is, I guess, building one in Los Angeles, which I don't know when that'll be open, but in general. Like Pop culture museums are sort of like privately curated in people 's homes, you know, and some of these things are legendary and, and and need to be preserved so you know as a pop culture history preservationist, I guess um, I really 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 love watching them and you you can watch them too you don 't have to buy anything they 're just they 're just kind of fun to take the journey, especially now that everything is is being done online but there are two big entertainment auctions coming up. There's the uh, Van Eaton Galleries is doing Disneyland the first 65 years, August 15 and 16 at vegalleries.com. That's where you would go to get info for that. Uh, so from uh, on the podcast, uh, Mike Van Eaton is here, who is the owner of Van Eaton Galleries. Um, we've gotten some Disneyland props from him in the past at some of the auctions. And then also um, Prop Store is another big entertainment auction house. Um, Lydia's gotten some stuff from there. We've enjoyed watching their auctions as well. They have their big entertainment memorabilia auction August 26th and 27th. If you go to propstore.com, that will have all the information that you need about that one. Uh, And so Brandon Allinger from Prop Store, he's the CEO of Prop Store, Uh, Is joining us as well to sort of talk about that And Dave Mandel Who is um, A really great writer Showrunner he's written for SNL And The Simpsons and Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm And he was the showrunner For Veep So he has worked on a lot of really amazing things That probably fall squarely in your interest And he's a huge collector of um, uh, Comic book Art and Star Wars Everything (laughs) And He and uh, Brandon from Prop Store created this amazing, huge uh, tribute book to Ralph McQuarrie, who was the legendary um, artist who did those gorgeous matte paintings from the original Star Wars. And and, and, and he's, you know, did the concept art for the original designs for, like, Darth Vader and Chewbacca and R2-D2 and C-3PO. He also worked on E.T. and Cocoon and uh, just, again, such a... To say that he was a legendary conceptual designer and illustrator is an understatement. Um, he's, uh, he's I believe, godlike <laughs> in the world of cinema. And so they put together this tome of Ralph McQuarrie um, that is available. You can buy that book online wherever you, you buy your book. So we all just got together and basically... I just wanted to hear how these auctions are put together, sort of the philosophy behind them, uh, and then in the process just sort of deep dive into our collective fandom as well. But even if you are not an auction person, I still I still think that if you love pop culture, um, there's still gonna be something in this in this podcast for you. Uh, I re- I could have talked to these guys for hours, but it was such a fun uh, just such a fun experience to just sort of connect with other people uh, who are also passionate about the preservation of pop culture history. So that's what this episode is about, entertainment, memorabilia, auctions, and uh, I really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I did being a part of it. So um, this is the ID10T podcast number 1085, Entertainment Auction Podcast. With Mike Van Eaton, Brandon Allinger, and Dave Mandel. And me, Chris Hardwick, saying, let's start the thing.
0: Initiating ID10T protocol.
2: so excited to be doing this podcast because it, i am quite obsessed with the entertainment and memorabilia auctions we my wife and i my wife is a collector i'm a collector we happen to like a lot of the same things so our collections doubled and then in the last handful of handful of years just sort of watching what's happening with auctions online and what a real thing it's become much to the dismay of You know, if you've been doing it for a long time, of course, you've watched the prices on a lot of things go up because now you're just bidding against every, literally every nerd in the world uh, on stuff. And it used to just be like, oh, whoever makes it to the thing or happens to call
3: in so there's no a it's, lot it's it's definitely the downside of silicon valley is just a <laughs> lot of a lot of rich guys who like star wars kind motherfuckers of motherfuckers thing. yeah. making things more convenient <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so i'm just uh so i have brandon from prop store i have mike van eaton from Van Eaton galleries and then dave mandel who's just a a big-time collector. Dave, you're a comic book collector and a Star Wars collector and probably a lot of other stuff. And I kind of, I don't know, I didn't really have a plan. I just wanted to talk about, because there's two big auctions coming up this month, doing a Disneyland one, and uh, Prop Store has a big memorabilia auction with some really high-ticket items. So I kind of wanted to just sort of talk about the phenomenon and understand the process and stuff. So really quickly first, Dave, when did you start... When did you start collecting? Does this go back to childhood and comics? Was that the first
3: Yeah, thing? I mean, I was I am a collector my entire life. You know, they talk about that gene. And by the way, I, I have two kids and I can see it in one of them. My I, I can see my son and his pop toys collection and the oh, way yeah. he lines them up and displays them and sort of plays with them a little bit, but doesn't touch them exactly. So yeah, I did baseball cards into comic books with a couple of sides into stamp collecting and that kind of stuff and then it was really comic books for a while into the original comic art then into the old toy collecting again like get buying back all the stuff i had as a kid but into the mint stuff and then and then into eventually the prop stuff have have you pretty much like you know, outside of, you know, I know
2: the, the, that R2 D2 that went, I think it was a profiles and history auction a few, couple, like three years ago. An R2 unit went for like $2 million. It was some crazy yeah. fucking, like $2 million. But w- w- would you say you are. Satisfied with your collection, which I know is a slippery question, but is there any? What, what's what's the
3: what's the white whale for you at this point? I mean, I don't know if there's a specific white whale, although I, I guess I kind of have one. I guess what I would say is the following: if I, I or and at least this is my attitude as I look through any given catalog, be it the you know the new one from Propstore, the new one from Vite, whatever it is, it's like if I if I don't see something, if I don't win something, if I don't get something, and I never get another piece. I have a killer wonderful collection. I'm going to be okay. Right. So I've at least learned to say those words. That being said, <laughs> you know, there's always something. Um, you know, and again, it, you get into the different worlds. I think in the prop world, the honest to God answer is the dream, the white whale for me would be probably like an honest to God, like scratch built, all the little parts like ilm model of some sort preferably from honest to gosh preferably from star wars or empire if i had to really right. you know start to narrow it down and you know, I'm not, I couldn't even tell you like, oh, I, you know, like, oh, it's going to happen. Like maybe, but also maybe not. But then I could also tell you there are, you know, there are other things in other areas. So, but yeah, I guess if I had to pick one, especially like a prop, that would be it for me at the moment. I mean,
2: it it is funny that this, this type of collecting is some of the most squirrel-like behavior that humans can exhibit. The idea of like, I can collect things around a theme and place them in one location and for me there is that sort of thrill of you know there's the ego thrill of like I have I have this and no other nerds have it but the other side of it too is and I'm curious to get your take on this my wife and I sort of look at us because obviously life is temporary we're basically curators and we are protectors of these things because we know we will take care of them And preserve them in the time stream so that hopefully they will be passed on, whether it's kids that we have, in your case, the one child that seems to be into collecting, or at least to someone who loves it as much as we do. The preservation element is very important to me.
3: Yeah, especially, by the way, and again, maybe perhaps a touch less so than when you're maybe purchasing in an auction where obviously if you don't buy it, someone else might, but depending on how it made that journey to the auction sometimes, which is to say of another collector, um, you know, and be it sells, be it these things that are, you know, cause sells it can be so fragile that if somebody else went out and kind of rescued it from somewhere, you know, these great stories of like they were throwing them out, they were headed for the garbage dump. They were in a garbage dump. I jumped in the garbage dump and pulled them out. So I'm not always necessarily the rescuer and maybe it's just with me for a little bit of a journey, but I especially love when these were things that were headed, you know, if you will, for the trash compactor in the sky and they are saved. Um, I love that part of it. The other thing for me, I'll simply say is, obviously, you see a movie, you love a movie, you watch a TV show, you watch a cartoon, you love it. And obviously, we can own it, we can have the poster for it, we can have the DVD or the file where we can, you know, watch it on our whatever Apple TV. But when you do have a little piece of it, whatever it is, a storyboard, um, again, a cell, a drawing, a model sheet, um, a prop, whatever, it is the most possessive you can be of a movie or of something you love which are things that are hard to actually possess they just kind of they're they're, they're there, but,
2: like the movies yes, that we like they these, but, but these things,
3: things these things make them tangible in a way that i kind of love for one brief shining moment so i, I kind of dig that too
2: oh i agree Th- those the the days of you know people throwing shit out are way over because everyone just Yeah, it's more out. so, but
3: there's still those stories of, you know, these guys always say, you know, and 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 you know, again, I don't get out there meeting them the way I used to or at least try to, especially with like the comic art. I used to hunt the stuff down, be it you know, a guy that left the industry, a guy that wrote a letter to DC Comics in 1963 and they sent him an issue, you know, yeah. that stuff yeah. used to happen. And I used to definitely be out there in the wild. You know, you get older, you, get, you don't have the time. Obviously, I'm not necessarily the one doing it, but I still know the people that are out there. And I you know, you still like, there are still people that are like, I didn't know this was worth something. I haven't been a part of that community in a long time. I went on eBay and I was shocked. And so maybe they weren't be heading right for the garbage, but you never know that guy gets hit by a car and the wife throws it all out. Cause it's just, you know, the crap in the attic. So I do think it can still happen. Yeah. But is it, uh, have we? Because
2: obviously, you know, there's a good and bad side of everything. With the internet, the good side is that we have access to everything now, but sure. we have too much access. That idea you're talking about—the hunting and the gathering and the really putting in this the the sweat hours of tracking something down—we don't really have to do that as much anymore because you know I was talking to Rob Zombie about. It. He's like, yeah, you know, there was a thing that I really wanted, and it was from an old show that I watched. I went on eBay; it was right there, and he was like, and they ended up not buying it because I was like, ah. It's just there. I don't fucking. I didn't even have to earn this. And so, is, the, is there an element to that um, that that we are that we're missing
4: now? But I would say, if I could jump in, I would say this there's, is
2: Brandon from Prop Store.
4: Yes, this is this is Brandon from Prop Store. I would say that there is also a thing a function that the internet has performed which is to enable the research and discovery and the tracking down to go further than it's ever gone before because there are people that you can find now or that will sort of appear on Facebook that are connected to something in such a, a kind of unusual Way that you would have never gone looking for them, you know, And, and they'll say, like, well, I have a family member who didn't work on Star Wars. You won't find us in the credits or the unit list, but we actually were part of a business that rented a property at Elstree Studios where they shot those movies at the time. And we did actually recover a stormtrooper helmet from the Star Wars films that was put in the dumpster. I mean, we literally have a stormtrooper helmet in our auction catalog right now that came from someone who. Uh, they had a family member who was a part of a cleaning business. And one of the places that they cleaned was at Street studio. So it's sort of, there's this great connectivity that's come out of the internet. And, and I see what you're saying. Like, yeah, maybe some things are almost too easy. Like just what can you not get on eBay? But the, the, the depths that you can go to with the networking and the people that you can connect with and, and speak to in such a quick and efficient manner uh, to not only find things, but also to research them. You know, I think for, for me personally, because I'm a collector myself, in addition to doing this professionally, it's like the the research and the discovery part of the whole collecting journey is a big part of it as well, you know getting something in and then going on the journey to understand the full history of that and say, Hey, how many of these were made for the film and who made them and why is it like this? Or this seems like it was repainted. Why might've been repainted? Then you can literally, you know, an hour later, you're talking to someone on Facebook who worked on that. And it's like, Oh, I remember that. Yeah. We had to repaint them because they weren't <laughs> reading well on the film stock we were shooting or just whatever it is. it's, it's It's kind of amazing the you know some of the groups that exist to to put these people together and uh, just 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 who you can find that you would have never found uh, you know fifteen or twenty years ago. I mean when when I started collecting, uh, I you know similar to Dave, I I collected toys when I was younger. I used to go around to yard sales and garage sales and things like that before eBay buy old action figures, and then I went to some filming locations uh, and I found some things that had been left behind at filming locations. And then I just started writing letters to people, just anybody that I could find an address for that seemed like it was the same person as the name in the credits. I would just mail an old school letter, you know, and this, this is like early 2000. So, you know, coming up on close to 20 years ago, it'd be like send them a letter or sometimes get on the phone and just see what came back. And, and the, you know, the ratio of successes was very low. You know, you'd get a couple letters back for every hundred you sent out or something, but you did meet some people that way and some of them had interesting things. So it's all, it's all part of the process, I think, of, of trying to track this stuff down and, and track hey, down Hey, Brandon, didn't homes. you
3: just get a letter back recently that was like you hadn't heard from them like in like 15 years or something it, it, like it, that?
4: Yeah, I, I literally had a guy contact me about a month ago. He sent me an email out of the blue, just woke up in the morning, had this email and it said, hey, we were cleaning out some things at my grandfather's house. We found a letter that you sent him in 2004. Oh, and it wow. said, you're looking for Star Wars things. And we actually have a gun from one of the Star Wars movies. And here's a picture of it. And it was <laughs> like, and, and he sent me a picture of my letter, which is, you know, the address on is like my parents' house when I lived with my parents 16 years ago. And it's like phone numbers that don't exist anymore and email addresses that don't exist anymore. Um, but it's, it's, you know, amazingly, it came back around. And, and I did a deal with this guy and bought this gun from the Empire oh Strikes Back, I mean, it's 16 like, years uh, later.
2: You're, you're, it's it's sort of the Indiana Jones aspect of the job, but I want—I don't know if you can see behind me, but there is a massive stack of cells. It's like four times this height. I just can't pick them all up. A lot of which I purchased from Ben Eaton Galleries, Mike, who's on as well. And Mike, I would love to hear a little bit of backstory about how you, because Ben Eaton Galleries is a cell animation gallery, and... Right. that Studio City or Sherman Oaks where you are? Uh, Sherman Oaks. It's in Sherman Oaks. And, um, you know, you had told me when I first met you and started buying from you, you go, look, man, I just started this because I just had yeah. collected so many cells that I just had to do something with them. And so, you know, I opened this gallery. So what's, what's your background and how did you get from cells to sort of becoming like really kind of the premier Disney auction house uh, at the
5: moment? Well, my problem is I'm a collector, too, just like you guys, and and we've all had those collector experiences. For me, I moved out here in the 80s, and uh, I knew what cells were, but I didn't own one. And uh, I ended up finding a guy's wallet, and in his wallet, he had a business card that said, I sell cells. And so when I uh, returned the wallet to him, the guy gave me some cells as as a thank you, and really what he was doing was setting a hook. And so I just started buying cells from this guy, L- literally bought everything he had so much. So you got grifted, man. He dropped that fucking it. wallet on
2: purpose. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, no he dropped kidding. 40 he wallets all over yeah. the city, just
3: yeah. the wallets said, go, everywhere. I give
5: away three cells. The first sample's free. And then after that, you exactly know, exactly what happens. Cause when you're a collector, especially back at that time, you see a piece, you go, Oh my God, I'm never going to see another one. That was the attitude. I have to buy that piece because another one's not going to show up. And then, the next day, another one would show up. Oh, I better get that one, too. So I ended up really buying this guy out. And he started sending people to me, you know, uh, saying, oh, I sold all those Bugs Bunnies to, to my friend Mike. Call him up. And that put me in the business. And and so I started with cells. And, and because Disney is so popular, there's always a tie in, I think, to Disneyland with cells. You know, the art corner, there were always cells sold there and things like that. So it just sort of evolved into being more of uh, animation art, uh, memorabilia from the parks, things like that.
2: Yeah. And, and the, the great thing about animation art is that it's not done anymore. I mean, it's all, it's all computer now because it's just cheaper and easier to do it. And so hand painted cells, I mean, there aren't even any, like you go back to Futurama, which I think was 99. And I don't, I think, I don't think there are really any Futurama cells. They might've done the pilot in cell, but I'm not sure South Park is the same thing. It's been on long enough that they barely, you know, I don't, I don't think there's any South Park cells and the Simpsons stopped doing it sometime in the late nineties. So Yep. Sells. It feels like well, they're only gonna not to get too businessy about it. They're only gonna appreciate because there aren't they aren't gonna do these ever again, and these are you know, and they're just gonna get lost, and you know. So the more time goes on, the more they appreciate in in, in value because it's just not a thing anymore.
3: But also, I mean, oh, I was just gonna say, naughty, and and yes, obviously, look, the appreciation and the money, it's definitely always a part of it. Obviously, you can't ignore it, but. I think just on a a collector ego basis, if you think of them as these hand-painted and grand, in a sequence, there may be a bunch of Bugs Bunny as he moves across the screen, but each one is one. And obviously, in often cases, there are fewer backgrounds, and you start putting these things together. And again, like a prop, you you are just getting something that, like, the 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 charge of this is that moment. This is that thing, and there aren't a thousand of them. There are a thousand other cells, but of that moment where Lady and the Tramp push the meatball to each other, if you have you know one of those cells, it's just that's a super specific thing. There, I,
2: there is definitely a preservation element because they do if, unless they're preserved really well, they definitely deteriorate over time. But what I've learned. You know, what I started to learn and what stuff that I learned from Mike was also, you know, and for anyone who's getting into cell collection, you know, the difference between when something is a production cell versus when something is a limited edition versus something. Because sure. a lot of a lot of character cells are put on fake backgrounds or backgrounds, you know, and to, my, and to Mike's credit, I've been in. I've, I, there was one Bugs Bunny I was looking at. and Mike goes, oh, you know what? Now that I look at this, I don't think this is the background that went with this cell so you decide whether you're not, you know, like I, I appreciated your honesty from that, but it's also understanding, you know, what a complete cell with a background set is versus just a cell or, you know, like a like a printed background. Sure. So um I guess the the larger question with any to, to any of you is yeah, like Brandon said, sure you we can go on eBay, you can get stuff. One of the reasons I think you look to an auction house is because of the vetting process, you know, of the authentication process. In my living room, I have a 1958 Disneyland Sea Park map. I think it's authentic. It looked, you know, it was signed by Walt supposedly. The guy that I bought it from on eBay said, "When I was a kid, my mom took me to Disneyland. We saw Walt walking around Main Street. I went up to him, and he signed our map." That's a beautiful story. I think it's true. I don't really know. So, can you talk a little bit about how? And
3: then he dropped his wallet, and it said, "I sell yeah.
2: cells." Wait, I know that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that guy is just a phantom. He's he's not he's not a real he's but 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 the idea of authentication. So when people are collecting, how do they know? How do you know? How do you vet these things? And how can amateur collectors vet, particularly if they're looking on eBay? This question can be for anybody.
5: Well, for me, uh, I. I... Well, first, experience helps a lot. I think uh, uh, both of us here, all of us have a lot of experience now in collecting. So we know some things to look for. But I really look for that backstory a lot of times. You want to know where did you get it? Where did it come from is the the first part of the vetting I do. I, I just had a lady call me who has a cannon in her backyard from Disneyland. Uh, and uh, she's tired of moving it around. And, and, and the first question was, well, okay, so how did you get a cannon from Disneyland? You know, I just want to hear that story, and it has to make sense in some way. You know, it has to tie in somehow, and uh, otherwise we know that she just thinks it's a cannon from Disneyland. There's a big difference there between the two. So a lot of the vetting just comes from talking to the people and making those connections and tracing it back, you know, those seven steps back to, to its uh, original place. Brandon?
4: Yeah, I would say it's very similar in film memorabilia. You know, the chain of ownership is always important. Um, But like Mike is saying, just the experience that comes with having been in the field and having handled other examples, you know, starting to understand what you're looking for in the realm of like aging, you know, and and what something that is actually 30, 40, 50 years old looks like and feels like compared to something that's been made recently or worse yet made recently with the intention of feeling 30 or 50 years old, which is different. It's like, there's just, there's some very intangible things there that you really only get out of experience. And you know, we we have good relationships with a lot of the studios. We've been in and out of studio archives. We've seen examples in the studio archives. We know they're genuine because they've lived there at the studio since those films were made. So you sort of you use that as as a as a basis to compare to and then you know, over time you you sort of develop different collections of reference images and you know we have a catalog of 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 every photography on every product we've ever handled which is tens of thousands of items and so you you start to develop all these resources to research things and and the research still is a big big part of the process you know sometimes things will come in where we'll say well this feels right you know that we think this is right but we do need to carry out more research we want to go through all the stills we want to go through the film on blu-ray or now on 4k frame by frame and see if we can match it screen match it meaning you can look at uh, for a crack in the paint or for some you know, wood grain on a table or something that you could look at and, and identify like a fingerprint and say, oh, no, this is this exact one, you know, without question. Um, oh, my God. This is like The
2: whole process is like a CSI. It's like a it, forensics lab,
4: it, it, it is. But, it, I mean, people want that degree of confidence. Of and, and one of the things, you know, buying from us or, or, or other reputable vendors, it's you, what you're getting, it's not just a piece of paper that, it, that is the COA. People sort of get hung up on COAs. But you're really buying the guarantee, which is if there's ever data found that, that contradicts what we've said about this item then you will be able to return it to us it's not just a buyer beware scenario and ebay of course is a buyer beware scenario and that's the big difference you know
3: and I, and I do think you this is where you do unfortunately have to talk about money which i don't want to talk about but this is where you do have to talk about it which is to say if i was buying a piece from brandon from indiana jones and it was hundred dollars not that he's selling me a fake but later on we found out there was something wrong with it and it's a hundred dollars again, not that $100 should be, you know, burned, but okay, I lost $100 or I lost $100 on eBay or something of that nature. But if all of a sudden someone is trying to sell me the hat from Raiders and I'm paying a giant sum of money, why would you just do that without the research both your own research but also show me Brandon or you know show me Mike why you're telling me this is what it is and then I'm also going to check their work as well just because now all of a sudden we are talking about these larger numbers and I always laugh about as you know we were talking a little earlier as these sort of I guess occasionally guys who you know like a hedge fund guy who spends his days you know pouring over data from a company on whether or not to buy the stock and then I watch him buy a fake superman suit do you know what I mean I'm gonna buy that for a couple hundred thousand dollars and I'm gonna do no research now maybe this hedge fund guy has so much money that the 300,000 is like a dollar to him but it's just why would you do that in your business, but not do it in your hobby? Because
2: what you're talking about, and yeah, I agree with you a thousand percent. It's because <clears throat> it's it's the way that anyone can get taken advantage of, which is when you're leading with emotion first. No, absolutely. You know, it's so easy it. to be like, How oh my God. They pride God. themselves on the yeah. lack of emotion, but yeah. <laughs> so, but, and, and I agree with you about not focusing on the, um, I mean, like I'll never sell any of the stuff that I have. I don't care. I don't care what it's worth. There are some things that I know I overpaid for, but I know that, you know, that, that had, it had value to me. It had value to me to, to have it and to, and to protect it. Um, And so I don't mind, like that's why I never really talk about money either, because if someone says, well, how much you pay for that? And you go like, oh my God, you go, yeah, but you know, like that's the value that it, it was about that much value to me to, to, to have it and to keep it. So That's all I that's all I really care about. I I don't I mean, I guess you can approach this as an investment strategy, but I feel like it's a kind of a dim one because you would have to hold on to it for a while. But I guess since we are talking about this, let's just kind of get it out of the way. Have we have we hit the auction bubble? I remember with um, with the the Van Eaton Disneyland auction, the Richard Kraft collection from a couple of years ago. And Richard was a guy who would go dumpster diving and find these amazing Disney, or they would just give him because they knew he was a collector. You know, going back thirty years. Um, it, and when I saw, you know, like holy fuck, man, there, are, there are like menus from Blue Bayou from the eighties that are going for like eight grand. You know, I, I'm not sure that's an exact figure, but but in that neighborhood, and I wondered, like, is this the bubble? Are we are we seeing like is 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 it maxed out?
5: Or, or is is it is it still fluid? Like, what's our what do we think about that? Well, I think the craft auction was a uh, anomaly for sure. There's a frenzy there, an excitement there that doesn't usually happen. But I, I, I think for for what we do, uh, the Disneyland items, even animation art, things are very strong still, and and uh, and still very emotional for a lot of people. I, I think emotion plays a big part of this. Uh, the auction we have going now, the Disneyland stuff, we're seeing more action than we've seen in a long time on it. I don't know if it's because Disneyland's closed right now and I don't know if it's just because people are bored and sitting at home. But I think it's both. Yeah, but it doesn't feel like uh, the bubble's actually quite burst
4: yet for sure yeah i would say the same thing i mean you know our auction that's running at the moment which takes place in a couple of weeks time the numbers are all up compared to 2019 the registration numbers and the bidding activity so far and so you know it probably does speak to the fact that people are looking for something to do in this moment that's a little bit fun when they're not going on vacation they're not doing this that whatever um but I, i guess you know whether you're talking about disney or you're talking about film memorabilia one of the things that all these collectibles have in common is that they they're, they have such a universal appeal, you know, and they're so widely known that you really have to consider the 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 client base and the base of potential buyers is vast because there's just you know who doesn't know Star Wars who doesn't know Mickey Mouse it's like these things are sort of universally known to people around the world young and old and and because of that they have an almost universal appeal and now there's many people who, who love these things and you know are of the means to to acquire them if they wish who still don't acquire them who just say well why would I want that you know or I'll see that in a museum but there are the others people that sort of have the the gene and the bug to go, oh, my God, I can't believe that I can own that. And, you know, we we see that a lot with the movie memorabilia. We get a new client who comes in and says, I never really realized you could buy something like this. I just assumed it was all stored with the studios. You know, it's fascinating to learn that these things are held privately and that they are obtainable.
2: Yeah. And I really hope that when whenever George Lucas finishes this pop culture museum, which I don't know what the timeline on that is, but I really hope something that they do is identify people, you know, collectors, like people who have collections like we do and say, hey, you know, do you want to, we have some rotating spaces for private collections. Do you want to show your collections? Because I would love to be able to show people stuff that we have so that it's not, you know, just in our house so that other people, other people can see these things and appreciate them as well. Dave, would you ever consider sharing some of your collections?
3: I've done in like the comic art world, not that there are exactly millions of comic art museums, but there've been a couple of like, uh, Marvel did an exhibit that's been traveling around the country and I've lent them like pieces from my collection. You know, it's always, you know, again, this is where it does get hard. It's like, you know, you're taking a one of a kind item and you're handing it off to them and they're, you know, they treat it right. And they're, you know, they're, they're sending professional art shippers, but you do get into the moments where you're like reading the contract and the insurance, you know, writers and whatnot. And you're just kind of going, yeah, look, I understand there could be a nuclear war, but I still, Still feel like you can get me my piece back please well
2: also Uh, yeah because it's like all it takes is one mistake and it's not replaceable i mean i bought a uh uh oh it's funny you know uh rob zombie had said in the early 90s he bought um uh, an original haunted mansion stretch painting for like two grand because they just weren't really a thing it's so funny
3: i was gonna bring when you were talking about um (laughs) mike when you were talking about the the big auction and how it re- it, you didn't think it changed things. I actually think it did change things because I stretch painting is definitely, for me, the great regret of they were around. They weren't growing on trees, but they were around. Right. And then all of a sudden, they're six figures. And I love it, but I also unfortunately worked for Disney for a couple of years, and I cannot... I just like, there's like, once you've worked there, there's a limit to what you can, you're, but you're really, not
2: giving the money to
3: Disney. You're giving it
2: to another It doesn't collection. matter.
3: I just, I can't live with myself. <laughs> there's, a, there's a point. There's just a point where we almost got into litigation and I just, I can't. It's just, like, it's just PTSD. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But those, but those stretch paintings definitely be, you know, as they moved into, and again, not trying to make it about the money, but they definitely moved into that, Realm and yeah. sometimes by the way, and this is where I, do, I think you should have to start talking about the difference between you know a pieces and B pieces and c pieces, and I think the bubble is when the C and the B pieces get too high, and sometimes they sell, and you 're never going to see that money again, but the one thing about I think the collectibles market, if we have to call it that. Is the great A pieces are A pieces and they do feel like they are forever. And no matter what the number is, and again, I'm not suggesting it as an investment strategy, but I guess, you know, I'm always shocked when the great piece goes, the next one goes even higher than the one before it. Or I should say, I'm shocked, but not shocked, is I guess. Well,
2: because the, it, it's also just yeah. a marker of like, Oh, other people are appreciating this. So it does, you know, like it, it it is an interesting, it, it, in a way it's a little bit of a validation, but I also think, you know, not that you should just go blow a bunch of money on something without really giving it too much thought. But I def, but like I said, I go back to what I was saying before was like, if something has value to you, that's the reason to get it. Not because, I mean, obviously you don't want to too much overspend on something, but I, I do have a stretch painting and I got it from Mike and but I'm so protective of it that I still haven't had it framed, even though Mike has a great framer, because I'm just terrified it, that it was it was one that hadn't been put in the – I don't know if it had been put in the frame yet, but because it, it says cut, like there would oh, right. say cut on the sides, and I'm terrified that if I take it to a framer, they're going to go, oh, it says to cut, whoop you know, and I would have to stand there and watch it get framed, and so it's in a, it's rolled up in a tube not being appreciated by anybody because I'm so precious about it. So is that something I need to let go, Mike, or anyone on the panel? Should I just get it framed? And you gotta
3: get it framed. But I will tell you, you gotta get it framed because you gotta have it up. But I will tell you, I take a lot of my stuff to a frame place that uh, that, that they do high end, like high art framing, and they do my stuff. And there is always that moment where they're like pulling it out of my hands. I've brought it there. They're pulling it out of my hands, but they're, they're saying to me, relax, man, we do Picassos. It's okay, dude. Just let go of the, the Joe Johnston star Wars storyboard. We do Picassos. It's cool. Yeah, I know, but
2: there's more Picassos than stretch paintings. I just want to put that out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, like, I feel like I'd call everybody and be like, is it still okay? Was there a fire? Did someone break in? Did you rip it? Like, and I don't really get precious about stuff in that way because I just feel like stuff is stuff. We're meant to enjoy it, but it shouldn't define us or rule our lives. But that is the one thing that I'm like, okay. I I just feel like I need to squat on that so no one no one
3: ruins it. I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you how you do it. You ready? Yeah. You take it in. You have them measure it, okay? Then you take it home. You have them acquire all the pieces, cut the glass, cut the frame, and then you bring it to them and see if for whatever your fee the fee is, you bring it to them at nine in the morning and they do the frame, you pick it up at five PM. That's here.
2: here. I never go. thought to do that, Dave. This oh my God, I love you. I fucking love you. Now you got to, Oh God. We
3: just paid for this podcast, man. (laughs) He's done this before. He's done this before.
2: This is why you talk to other collectors because you, 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 you learn, you learn these types of things.
3: I literally, I literally, I had a piece that was, I had, I was lucky enough to find actually not one, but two Steve Ditko original, um, Spider, Amazing Spider-Man covers from wow. the first year of the run. Oh That's basically how I framed them, more or less, which was, here I am, I'll see you at five o'clock. I mean, there was just no, I, I could not conceive of letting them out of my sight overnight. It just didn't exist.
2: How's your family with your collection? Are they pretty good? Are they like, Dave, just keep it in that room and then you can keep whatever you want in that room and it's fine. They,
3: the collection sort of has its own apartment at this point.
5: Yeah.
3: <laughs> the, the, my pre-marriage kind of condo office is kind of the, co- the collection. And then I live nearby ish, but I'm trying to rectify that. Uh, the, the pandemic put some issues into our, uh, you know, uh, what's the word renovations uh, at the house, but I'm trying to bring everything together. But my wife actually is not a collector. She just does not have that, again, that gene, but appreciates it and likes it. And that's good good enough for me. That's great. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. And like I said, I'm really lucky that my wife is, is possibly more of a collector than I am. And our, our delineations are, I tend to collect all the Disney stuff and the comedy movie stuff, Okay, and she tends to collect all the horror movie props. So, cool. you know, she's got she's got. Some so you're not movies.
3: competing with each other.
2: You're We're not, not competing against each other. Against they complement each other, <laughs> each other. Yeah. and she's the one who's like, "We should put our props all over the house." And I'm like, "Well, I never thought I would be the one that was like, let's you know, let's let it also be a house and not just a prop museum." And she's like, "It's fucking our house. We can put shit, whatever we want." I go, "I know. Like, I never thought I would be the tether." (laughs) And and so it's one of the many reasons why I, you know, why I'm in the best marriage in the world because I I hear these horror stories of, you know, oh, I have to be ashamed of my collection because my partner or my kids hate my stuff, and so I have, you know, I have my own little cave of shame, and uh, and it's not allowed to leave that, and I always feel really bad for you because I feel like. That's so much a part of who you are. It's such a bummer that, you know, you can't express that fully. I don't know.
3: I was just gonna say there are some incredible collections that I'm aware of that got broken up by the guy whose wife basically made him sell. And I have pieces from those collections in my collection. So <laughs> I am glad those horrible partners are still out there that just say, you got to get rid of it all at once now. <laughs> so I'm okay with that.
2: Because that's, that's, where, that's where we swoop in and go, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do you a favor. I'm going mean, to take, take, yeah, take that off your, hands. I'm take this, yeah. off your hands for you. And now we briefly pause to thank our sponsor for this episode, of the ID10T podcast, Squarespace, uh, longtime sponsor of the podcast, and they—if if, if you—if you need to uh, build a website or create an online store, or have marketing tools. Uh, I mean, not to sound like a nineties instructional video, but everything's done online now. I mean, literally. So. Um, Create your online storefront now. Now's the time to do it. And also, Squarespace uh, will allow you to create amazing email campaigns. You know, you get consistent content straight from website to email, powerful editing tools to make it your own, customizable layouts for any kind of message, mobile editing you can send anytime, anywhere. Um, Definitely helpful if you're working remotely and maybe for whatever reason you only have access to your phone. Not a problem. Turn your idea into whatever sort of digital presence you want you're going to get beautiful templates created by world-class designers e-commerce functionality you can sell anything online Um, everything's optimized for mobile right out of the box and uh, 24 7 award-winning customer support all right so um Go to squarespace.com slash ID10T for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code ID10T to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Thanks to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode of the ID10T podcast, which we now glide gently back toward. I, I was thinking about the Richard Kraft auction, Mike, and I think one of the reasons, uh, because I, I have seen bits and pieces of disneyland stuff in other auctions some you know less prestigious auctions and stuff and some things just kind of sit there but what i think the richard Kraft auction had and then brandon can jump in as well after you answer to sort of talk about the the prop store view on this is Kraft had such a great story it was all he was the he was the centerpiece of it all because this one person collected all of these things he had a story for all of it you, you know, bought, like rented out an old guitar center or something and and displayed all of it. And it really was a museum walkthrough of a guy's journey with his love of Disney. And so the fact that it all came from one guy and the fact that during the auction, he would jump up and tell a story about pieces, that to me, like that really kind of pokes at that human story thing that that we as human creatures love so much is, the, it just sort of build this emotional bubble around everything rather than just like oh
5: here's a thing that you've probably seen in a movie before do you would you agree with that mike I, I agree I think story is everything to be quite honest with you i think it adds it adds value to the piece and that was the great thing about the craft auction was here was a guy lots of personality, lots of great stories about pieces you know and when we were putting this together you know he said hey can i can I talk about myself and i said absolutely you know a lot of times we have people who don't want to talk to the press or don't want to really be involved they just want to sell they don't want anybody to know what's coming from him but having him out there saying hey this is from me and this is how I bought it and this is why I bought it th- those are great things to have and I think it adds a lot of value to the piece and you know what the people who bought those pieces they'll pass those stories on in some form it's it's just it's great and that's that's part of the history of the piece now and I love it
3: yeah, I also thought there was something really cool about I mean, there was so much his collection was so amazing, but also the way you guys displayed it at the the exhibit, but also in the catalog, where all of a sudden, the menu had context. So what I guess is, because you know, if you think about the lands or whatever, it's like, okay, you know, here's some Blue Bayou Cafe stuff next to a whole bunch of Pirates of the Caribbean stuff. And so even if I'm bidding on the cheapest item, a napkin or whatever, a matchbook or an ashtray, I get to see how it connects to everything. And so as opposed to other auctions where you might see the lone ashtray that just seems to be sitting there, I feel like it gave it gave life to some of these smaller pieces and how they connected to the overall places and the park. Anyway, that was my
5: Well, I I love that. I'm glad you actually noticed that. We try to do that with all these auctions is keep things together and connect them to other pieces. And I think like you said, Chris, when you see pieces in another auction, they're just so random and they're just so, by themselves out there, they have no meaning. And, and that's why they just sit there.
2: Yeah, the context, but also just to walk in and go, this is filling up a huge fucking two-story industrial-sized commercial building. How did one person, like, where did he, you know, I know he had that, the the serpent, he said, was outside by his pool. And you know, just just thinking, like, one one person got all of this stuff. And obviously, you know, it was it was a pretty amazing story that he just decided, like, I think it's, I think I've, that's the other thing is when you realize, like, I've had my time with this stuff, it's time to let it, you know, move on and find a life of its own. So the collection really broke apart. Um, But the letting go, I mean, Dave, do you ever envision a time where you'll go, okay, it's time. I'm just going to start letting shit go. (laughs) Or are you going to be buried in it like a
3: sarcophagus? I'm not necessarily going to be buried in any of it. Maybe one piece they'll bury me with. But, uh, no, I mean, I definitely – and, again, you know, and my kids are young-ish, you know, uh, 11 and 12. Basically. Um, and certainly I want it to be fun for them. And I always sort of jokingly sort of say, like, you'll do with it whatever you guys want to do with it. But I guess that's my attitude at the time. But nothing – I guess, look, if at some point or another – it you know i guess i what i here's what i will say i have seen the bitter old collector and i do not want to do that to myself to my wife i don't want to be that i don't want to be the guy who like is doesn't have a car or is driving a beat-up car because i can't bring myself to let go of um my gun that was used in the cantina scene do you know what i mean like remember, I, I remember that old
2: amazing stories with mark yeah. hamill
3: <laughs> I just don't yeah I just don't want to be bitter that's what I don't want to be so you know anyway we'll see
4: I think what we see in the movie world is not necessarily – we haven't seen so many big, big collectors who are sort of getting out of things. What we we have seen is various individuals who have had a career, you know, decades in film. Uh, A good example would be Rick Baker, right? We did a big auction with Rick Baker about five years ago, and Rick basically had made the decision that he was going to retire. He had a 60,000-square-foot building in Glendale, and the basement of that building was absolutely filled with three or four decades' worth of stuff. So, you know, artwork and puppets and props and makeup effects pieces and molds and My sculptures. My wife bought a muffins. bunch of pieces
2: from you guys on that. There we, we go. Have so, like, so, we so, have know. like three or four gremlins. From yes, yeah. That yeah.
4: He, he, he had a couple of gremlins for sure down there and, and the mog and all of it. And, and so for Rick I mean it was really interesting because uh, I got to work with him fairly closely on that process and you know he kept some things but obviously he was getting out of this massive building he was sort of setting up a, a separate studio environment at his ho- house and he wanted to have some things there but it was like for him, it was time to let go. It was, you know, it was a time to let go of the industry and time to retire. But b time to let go of these things that he had carted around through three or four different moves of his shop, and just to say, you know what, I would like some other people to have this, and I don't want to throw it away because I want it to live on, and I want it to be in the hands of people who are going to care about it. And, and I've seen that with a few different effects artists, specifically. You know, we have a bunch of content in this auction from Phil Tippett, well-known effects artist, a stop-motion animator. So there's all kinds of maquettes and puppets and things. From Starship Troopers, there's a couple of pieces from Star Wars. There's a mask that he made for the Cantina sequence, and and it's a similar thing with Phil. It's like it's not that, that he doesn't appreciate it, and it's it's not a part of his history. It's just at a certain point, there's an interest to to let it go and almost live live its next life. You know, like you're saying, you're you're a curator for a time. It's like it, at some point you do want things to get out there in the world and and i think that's one of the nice things about auctioning them or just about the collecting world in general is you can bet that whoever goes out and and spends their hard-earned money on something is going to take good care of it and is not going to just throw it in a box in the garage it's like this thing is going to be looked after and and treasured and hopefully shared for many years to come
2: has has there ever been a situation where because sometimes i'll see things pop up at the auctions and i'll go Oh, I wonder if the I wonder if the original company ever said, oh, no, 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 that's ours. That was, you know, like even if it was taken in a dumpster or whatever, they go, no, 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 that was that was private property that was never supposed to get out. Is there any are are there any issues with that or is it or, or did the company sort of understand like these things, you know, tend to pass hands and have a life of their own?
4: I mean, that, that does come up from time to time. You know, it's, 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 not a, it's not a huge issue. I mean, we have good relationships with most of the studios and we frequently sell items on behalf of the studios. And, you know, a lot of the films that are collected on, especially from the 70s, the 80s, or the 90s, the prop and costume assets just weren't tracked in the way that they are today. You know, today it's very different. Modern productions, they, they, they have their studio archives, they're looking after things very carefully. And many times the only way that things are officially released is if there is an official auction. Uh, but when you go back 20, 30 years ago, they used to have parking lot sales. I mean, at the end of a a production, it was like, if you worked on this thing and you want to come over to the parking lot, we're going to be selling everything from the vacuum cleaner that we were using while we were making Blade Runner to Harrison Ford's gun that we were using while we were making Blade Runner. And literally, the the Blade Runner gun, the publicist who worked on the movie bought it at the parking lot sale for like 50 bucks. And when they were done, you know, and he wants this
2: piece of shit, no one's ever going to
4: want this. and he sold it decades later for six figures. And so it's just, you know, that's a shift in the industry. That's, I mean, we talk about the, these props and costumes. It's like they're the sawdust from building the chair, right? They were not the final product. The final product is the film. It's capturing the image, getting it on the celluloid and, and making the movie that goes out in the scene by people all over the world. But the, the stuff, the 3D physical props and costumes, whatever, these, it's only recently that they're now looked on sort of as treasures in their own right. And I know it's similar with, with animation cells, right? It's it's like nobody okay. cared once we were done. It's just like, no, that was, that was part of the process to get to the product. The product is the film or the show or whatever. It's, it's only sort of people like us, you know, the pop culture obsessives and the people who go, wow, this is a great thing, who have sort of elevated these things to a new status. If that makes Yeah,
2: sense. but what, what are collectors in 30 years going to collect? Like in, in an era where so much stuff is done with CG, so many costumes are, you know, uh, meticulously tracked, as you say, are is it are we going to see a lot of the same stuff in circulation? Or like, what's the new generation of collectibles look like? Especially when, you know, like when I was growing up, and I'm sure when Dave when we, when Dave was growing up too, you know, like no one really thought much of the stuff of the Kenner action figures in the '70s, but now everyone looks at everything as a potential collectible. So now it's like people people look at things first generation items as like oh, I need to never take this out of the package and I need to do this, I'll buy an extra one and never, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of pop toys for instance, that where people are doing that, but like, what do you think collecting is going to look like in 30 years with the way things are now?
5: That's a tough one. It really is. It's hard to know, you know, because taste change, uh, there's only so many things that cross over into another generation, you know, Star Wars, we know is, is a multi-generational fan base. Disney has a multi-generational fan base and I think uh, that's what keeps the strength of a collectible going. Dr. Seuss, multi-generational, something you're always going to read your kids. You're always going to show your kids. So in that respect, I think there are certain things that will always be collectible. But there's also the fad collectible, you know, uh, the, the pieces that have a shelf life of just a few years or one generation uh, that'll go by the wayside. But it's uh, things
2: not even being able to get out into the public Domain. But
5: on the
3: flip side, I mean, again, with the studios, and by the way, especially things like TV shows that have sort of a run of life, you know, uh, right. like where, like, hey, we're doing, you know, by the way, you know, Netflix almost, not that everything is three seasons, but a lot of just three seasons and done, yeah. but even some of these, you know, bigger, better shows, and it's not stuff I've necessarily um, gotten crazily into collecting on certain, some of these TV shows, but I do think, I, I'm always sort of pleasantly surprised when I, like, look at the numbers that, like, if if Brandon's place is doing a specific TV uh, thing, like, they just did some of the uh, the Marvel TV shows and they've got, like, a, what is it, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. coming up. Yeah. And it's not necessarily my cup of tea, but when I look at, like, numbers and go, whoa, you know, so, I, look, I think, like, collectors will always find a way to spend money on something. Yeah. 20 years from now, are we going to still be talking about those Marvel shows? I don't know, but I do think like things fill the vacuum. Again, do they become the classics, the multi-generational classics? Hard to say. I think you jump ahead 20 years and you go, of those 10 shows everybody liked, we're talking about one of those shows, and maybe that becomes – that goes on the list. I don't know, you know, there
2: aren't 10 shows anymore that everybody likes because the media is so fragmented. So it's not, I mean, obviously you're right. The big ticket ones, you know, Star Wars, Disney, you know, but again, outside of that, you know, what's it going to be? It's like, Oh, the, this, a sweater from Riverdale, you know, like (laughs) it's like media is just so fragmented now. So I wonder, I mean, it doesn't really, it doesn't affect me in 30 years. I probably won't care, but, because if I'm still even here, but but the idea that there's just, le- it feels like there are less physical things that have the ability to get out into the world than there, than there used to be. But I would love to sort of hear the process of, you know, what goes into putting on one of these auctions and either Brandon or Mike, whoever has, whoever wants to hop in first, just from from start to finish, like, what's the timeline like how do you how do you get an idea for an auction or do you or is it just in the acquisition you go oh, i think we have a lot of these theme let's do this theme how does it work how long does it take to put on and kind of what goes into the behind the scenes
4: well From our side, we do a couple of different types of auctions. So the auction we have coming up right now is what we call a multi-consigner auction, meaning things have come in from a variety of different places. We also do single consigner auctions, which tend to be around one given property, like that Marvel auction that Dave just referenced, or you know, we did an auction uh, of the JJ Abrams Star Trek films, you know, a a very specific collection. But you know, I think the the ones that people tend to get the most excited about are the multi-consigner live auctions because they cast such a wide net. content from so many different titles that there's there's almost going to be something in there for everyone and we're doing this fairly regularly you know we're doing one to two a year but the, the biggest part of the process i suppose is really getting the content together you know and it's 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 a, it's several different processes i mean it's us going out and speaking to our established network of collectors and industry sources to say look is there anything that you've you know that you're thinking of letting go of is there anything that you might want to consign to this auction because collectors frequently turn things over You know, collecting tastes change, and a lot of people will. Will let go of a piece that they've had for a while to bring something new into the collection. Uh, there, there's a lot of buy sell trade in the collecting world, and, and you know that does feed some of the content that comes in for auctions. There will also be sort of long term leads where you know we, we are aware that a person has something we've been aware of it for years, but they're not quite ready to sell yet, and it's you know it's an ongoing conversation as to when they'll want to sell. Um, and then there are the things that just sort of walk in the door, and every now and then you get that wonderful phone call that's, "Hey, my dad worked on." x movie and we have this sitting in the garage and you know you answer that with a healthy dose of dose of of skepticism they don't always pan out but some of them do and and some some really wonderful things turn up that way you know and, and for me that's the most fun part of the auction process is assembling the content because it's so great to see things that you've never seen before and that you might not even think existed you know things that um that 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 as of today no one is even aware is still in existence anywhere in the world but then you know a month from now it may just show up and it's like oh my god i can't believe this has shown up how do you fight um, the
2: urge to not just go you know what i'll just buy this you know, <laughs> like, rather than.
4: well there's a little bit of that that definitely happens yeah there's sometimes, definitely a problem, there's, yes. sometimes there's some arm wrestling internally yeah it's uh, but we got to keep the lights on also so it's it's a balancing act you know um, and, and and then building our catalogs and Mike I know you take a lot of pride in the catalogs too but the catalogs are a big big process you know a lot of work goes into doing the yeah. photography the descriptions the graphic design so the gorgeous. layout
2: they're so gorgeous and and the fact that you take such care to present them in a way that is just not something most people or companies do anymore you know a lot of people just giving up on print and sending out stuff in the mail but yeah, you can look at stuff online and rifle through a digital catalog, but the smell of the catalog and the <laughs> cracking of the page, and then like the you know like I'll dog I love to dog ear a page that has something on it that I want to keep in mind. Yeah, yeah, you know, like that. The fact that you take that much care, that must mean that you know you understand the experiential value of the auction process.
4: Yeah, yeah, and and that's you know that's like a great. Peak in the auction cycle is the week that we deliver those catalogs and we get them into our clients' hands for the first time, and we start getting the feedback on it. That's that's really one of the high points of the whole process, you know. And, um, and and like I say, it's a lot of work. It's great to hear people like yourself who say they they appreciate them. I think it is more fun personally to sit with a book and to turn page by page and to really digest it and breathe it in, as opposed to just scrolling through a PDF on your phone, you know, when you're uh, in the passenger seat of a car or something. It's just it's just a better experience, and I think I think the items deserve it. You know, I think it's like you can't really appreciate how great this thing is on your three-inch-wide phone screen, but when you get the catalog and you turn it up, and it's a you know it's a, it's a double-page spread, and you go, oh my god, look at the you know look at the interior of this thing that I never saw when I watched the movie. I had no idea that it was filled with servos and motors, and it's like it's it's all that stuff that is what collectors really love. You know,
2: and it's right too because if you're buying something in the physical universe. To have something in the physical universe to represent it that you can leaf through, it feels like you're doing it justice. Um, Mike, what what is your what is your process? Because I've been, I you know, I, I you've been kind enough to bring me you know to that big space that you have with all the stuff before an auction, and I've I've seen you how you've just begun to sort through it all, and everything kind of seems organized. And like, stretch paintings go there, you <laughs> know, three D diorama of Main Street uh, goes here you know, all of the, the, the different ride things. So what is your process from start to finish? And how do you, what, what is the work that goes into assembling the auctions for you?
5: I, I think it's very similar to what Brandon said. You know, for me, the catalog is the big part of everything. And for us, we have to find a few key pieces that we can build a story around, you know, uh, especially for Disneyland stuff and for Disney stuff, because it's pretty low price stuff for the most part. And these catalogs are extremely expensive. So from a business standpoint, I have to have a few key items throughout that catalog that I can build around. So say I've got uh, a skeleton from uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, then I can build it with a lot of small stuff around there. You know, Uh, uh, one of the programs, uh, a signage, things like that all around that. But I have to be able to find those key pieces to sort of put these catalogs together. And uh, because we're all collectors, I think, here. The catalogs for me, I'm new in the auction business relatively new anyway, and I feel like that was something that was important to me to have when I was buying an auction, so I wanted to keep doing that same thing so for me, it's all about being able to build a catalog that's interesting and and tells the story and sometimes that takes a makes a little more time you know we have to put a little more time into it and and a little more money into it, but I think it's worth it overall
2: It, so. it seems like a logistical nightmare <laughs> <laughs> so, to, it, I it I is there
5: you know.
3: I was just going say, I don't want to make a catalog, but I will certainly say when I was first getting into prop buying, I guess in like sort of the mid to late nineties, so much of my learning process was grabbing old catalogs from places that were doing auctions and going through them to see what had been out there, what had, you know, what existed, like what, what was possible. And so that, I think that 's a piece of it that people that are not doing catalogs aren 't thinking about, which is not like, not only are they the legacy of the sale but they are they are there aren 't a lot of prop reference books they are there are obviously some wonderful like art of various animation features and art of movies and things but these things do become sort of these you know they become sort of your your prop library in a way that I feel like. I think a newbie can learn from in a great way to kind of go, oh, I see there was one of those or, oh my God, that was that thing from five years ago, that that sort of sense of things and it's cycled back around. So I think there's also that value to catalogs as well.
2: Yeah, because I think for for anyone who's listening to this, you don't just have to intend to buy things to enjoy these auctions. If you are at all a fan of pop culture, it's basically just – a like a, a a diary of all of the things you know most of the things that were meaningful to you and just little things like oh my god i forgot that i forgot that thing was in that movie or oh yeah i remember that little that one character from the thing and this is a piece of that so getting the catalog watching the auction as it's happening online is so exciting to just you know, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I've almost impulse bought some some things that I'm glad that at the last minute I like grabbed my hand and was like, don't you... Because you go on and you just intend to... I'm going to bid on one or two things and something else comes up and you go, shit, that doesn't have as many bids as I thought it was. And then you start and then it's just like, you know, like hyenas fighting over a gazelle where it's like, argh, 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 you know, we got a phone bid. We got a floor bid. We got another digital bid. Dave, do you have some... Trapdoors set in place, some protection measures so that you don't get caught up in that limbic system and then you
3: bid way more than
2: you intended to?
3: The thing that you well, no, that of course just I mean, (laughs) you know, all you know, like all collectors, all I'm ever doing is as I'm bidding, way higher than I ever thought, is I'm just making deals with myself. You know, I'm basically as I'm going like bid, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I've got six of that other thing. If I sell one of those to that guy who really has been bugging me for 15 years for it, okay, that's 40,000. I can have him, you know, okay, bid again. You know, and I'm just making deals in my own head. And again, I haven't done any of these things, but I'm just thinking like, how am I going to pay myself back? That's all I'm thinking. So no. Um, The one thing that does help sometimes is, and this is, I, I guess I'll simply say more of a prop thing. The prop catalogs are usually alphabetical. Star Wars is kind of S, which means it's usually on sort of the back third of the second deck. And so if I'm targeting something big for Star Wars, I have the discipline to go, okay, I'm going to wait and see what happens, and I'm going to ignore A through R. I'm going to do my best to ignore A through R because I'm, I'm waiting for S, and yeah. then if I win S, great. And if I don't, shit does sometimes happen after S if I don't win. Terminator. Terminator collection. The, yeah. the, the, the <laughs> S keeps me honest. If Star Wars was listed by, like, A New Hope at the front of a catalog, it would be trouble. So don't do that, Brandon. I
2: feel like there's always a soft number. Like the first number that you say, I'm not going to spend any more than X, you know when you're sold that that's a soft number. That if it goes, you know, you might go, if you have a really hard and fast number, you might still go two or three times beyond, you know, you might. But at a certain point, there have been things. I like, I guess, I don't know, maybe four years ago, five years ago, one of the first auctions that really blew up for Van Eaton, there was a stretch painting. um, And I go, I'm going to go, I'm going to bid at this much higher amount than I'm comfortable with. And that's my, that's my, I'm not going to go anymore number. And I'm not going to say who, but there were two gentlemen, uh, who were both bidding by phone and I know who they are. And, uh, cause one of them's a friend of mine and it blew past that number in seconds. <laughs> and I, I felt like, what the fuck just happened? <laughs> and uh, and I'm thankful that I did not get in a bidding war with these, with these two people. But then the idea that you are able to be zen and let it go, because then a year later, Mike came back around and said, hey, I happen to have another stretch painting. If you're interested, it's having the faith to know that sometimes if something like you can go a little higher than you feel comfortable with, but you shouldn't also like mortgage your house. You know, it's like, you still should be a little responsible.
3: I think, you know, look, obviously within all these discussions is there's food on the table. We're lucky enough to work in these sort of careers that sort of allow this sort of silliness. But what I will also say though, is I have never forgotten, because I've been doing it long enough. Every time I did reach a new level, because I can remember the first time I spent $2,000 $2,000 on something. And I can remember the first time I spent $5,000, which seemed like a number. How would one ever spend $5,000 on something? And I can remember, therefore, then 10, 20, 25, and then the increments right. started. And yeah. I've never, you know, I've been doing it long enough where I've never forgotten all of those ceilings that I guess I never thought I would blow through. And here we are. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think there was. There was one, and this is a this is a question for you, Dave, as well. But there was one, and I think it, I'm pretty sure it was a prop store auction from a, from a couple of years ago. Um, it was a uh, it was a, a Venkman jumpsuit, and I was like, "Well, I have to get this." Um, and the day of the auction, I just felt like, you know what? It's I just. I'm, I really have to get a handle on this. I don't need every single thing from every one of my favorite movies. And it ended up going for, I think it was like 30,000 pounds. I think it was a British, I think it was in England, the UK auction. So whatever that is, 40, 45 grand or whatever it is. And I'm glad that I didn't get into that bidding war. But at the same time, I'm also like, oh, I, I could have I been a contender for Venkman's jumpsuit, you know? Yeah. Uh, was am I correct Brandon was that a, was that indeed a prop star auction
4: yeah no you're right and I think that went well beyond the estimate sometimes that happens especially with the title like a Ghostbusters I remember we had a costume from Tron I think it was Sark from Tron and we had it estimated like 8 to 10 thousand and it did like 80 thousand pounds oh or something God. and so sometimes it's just like you've got two incredibly passionate people and sometimes those films bring out people who only collect on those titles so people who are like I only collect Ghostbusters I only collect Tron that's all I'm interested in and they just I mean it's like, it's like what you're saying about you set this number, whether soft or hard, and then in the moment when you want it, it sort of goes out the window because at the end of the day, like you said at the start of the conversation, it's about what it's worth to you in that moment.
3: I was just going to say one of the first big pieces that I ever went after was a, uh, a stunt Vader helmet from Empire Strikes Back, and I lost it. I, I lost the auction and found out years later I was bidding against Paul Allen. And so, you know, at some point, you know, what, what can you possibly say? Let me put it this way. I've never forgotten it. I don't think Paul Allen when he was alive ever knew or cared that he was bidding against Dave Mandel. You know what I mean? It's like, I, my guess is I was there sweating I was literally in a pool of my own sweat and I'm guessing some flunky of his was just on the phone with their hand up like it never came down no there was no number I could say where that Paul Allen wasn't going to win it and so you do have to remind yourself of there's always someone who does maybe want it more or can spend more or whatever and you do have to be a little philosophical about it it, it, it keeps you healthy I think yeah it's
2: funny you know, I think about like the the, the I, I think think about the Paul Allens or any of the like the Silicon Valley billionaires that I know are collectors that bid on stuff and this is probably one of the reasons why they have money is because they're so they're good with keeping it but I feel like if I had like Paul Allen's money or some Silicon Valley billionaire even if I was bidding on something like that you know it was like okay uh that 30,000 back to the floor I would just be like fuck you a million. You know what I mean? Like, how do you, like if you have that much money, how would you just be like, yeah, a million. everyone else fuck, fuck off, you know, but they don't do that because they're probably, there's a reason that they have money. They know how to hang on to it. (laughs) Um, As we're wrapping this up, uh, Dave is there. I, I, I know you mentioned something earlier on in the podcast, but is there a piece that you, that, that your heart is sort of ripped out that you didn't try for or something that you let get away that was really close? You know, I know you just told the Vader story helmet, but is there, is there anything else that kind of haunts you at night?
3: There's not, I, I've been pretty good. I mean, even the Vader helmet, which did haunt me for a bit, I did, I was lucky enough to later find one at obviously a much higher number, but I did, I did find one. I have to say, I'm not necessarily, I don't have the, I, I have sold things, but I don't regret them. I have, there's there's few and far between where it's like, oh, I, you know, there are pieces I want, but nothing that I, they haunt me. But there are definitely things that I think are cool and interesting that I just, you know, what can I say? I wish I had, but I, I, I like to feel like I'm not haunted. So that's, I know it's an unexciting answer, but I don't that's feel. Okay. Yeah. Can,
2: can we talk about just real quick, just some, Highlight pieces, some of your favorite pieces who you want to, can, can we do like uh let's just talk about some of our favorite, most cherished pieces that we have. Are you comfortable doing that? Yeah, sure. Okay. So like, uh, just, just a handful of things that you love. We can, we'll go, we can go back and forth. We'll go back and forth and just as collectors talk about pieces that we are really excited about or, or, you know, or jazzed on. So you, you go first.
3: Um, I think for me, one of my true all time favorites, um, the character, the movie, and also it has an insane story is I have, um, uh, I have one of the actual used um, uh, Chewbacca masks from a new hope that was then modified into Mala for the holiday special. Oh my God! So Which it actually it is, a weirder, better story. It, <laughs> well, that's I said the story. So it is not. It is both Chewbacca from the greatest movie ever made, and also from Mala from the holiday special. That's a two. Perhaps the most infamous holiday special ever made, uh, and I love it for both those reasons. So that's a that's a true I don't know collection highlight. You might I might be buried wearing that mask. So that's that's definitely up <laughs> there for me.
2: I might be buried wearing this. I know people in the podcast have heard this before, but this is the uh, this is the actual dark helmet. Oh, America. there you
3: go. I love that. Um, Very cool.
2: And uh, I was able to get Rick Moranis and Mel to sign it uh, okay. underneath. So this, yeah, the dark helmet might be my... And it's so funny because you, you think about a movie like Spaceballs or even Tron, which I'm also obsessed with. I have some of the original... Um, uh, uh frames from Tron as well. You know, these were not movies that made a fuck ton of money, but they just hit the right emotional note for a certain age range and we are now grown-ups. <laughs> and so we you know, so you know, is is Dark Helmet or is the Tron thing like, you know, will that have will that have monetary value forever? I don't care. I ha- I have that one piece and it means the world to me. Um what's what's something else, Dave?
3: Um, I'm trying to think of just other things, uh, that sort of jump around, uh, so it's not all Star Wars. Um, I have a ghost trap. Uh, I have a ghost trap that, uh, was used both in one and then the greeblies on the side were modified for two, but it's got the, you can see where the wiring was cut so that it smoked. It's a hero God. metal one and God very much it. for me... I got it a million years ago. And for me, it was my one and done. I have stared at other Ghostbuster pieces, but I've always kind of ended up with, eh, I've got my ghost trap. I'm good. So that's a, and for me, again, you know, we haven't talked a lot about comedy, but, you know, you mentioned it as a comedy person, obviously Ghostbusters is just, you know, a defining, you know, on my work to whatever extent. you know what I mean? So, yeah, you got to have Ghostbusters. That's that's a really good one. Dave, that's a really good one. <laughs> God, I'm Dave. sorry. I wasn't expecting that reaction.
2: <laughs> no, it's such a great, I mean, like, it's it's enough just to have a ghost trap, but to have one of the ghost traps is such an amazing, that is a, that is, that, that's, a, that's a, that's a flag, that's a, um, a tentpole piece to have in your I, collection. I, I, um, I, a handful of years ago, a friend of mine came to me and said, oh, I know you're a collector of stuff. Um, I have uh, two of the Amigos pants from Three Amigos. Oh, wow. Mm. Do you want those? I go, well, who do you have? He goes, well, I have Chevy's and I have Steve Martin's. And I go, I'll take Steve Martin's. And so I bought Steve Martin's Amigo pants from that's Three cool. Amigos. I don't have the rest of the of the outfit. Um, And then he sold another one to a bar somewhere else. But yeah, like that's another thing where I never would have thought, oh, I want those pants. But then the offer presents itself and you're like, yeah, I think I think I do need I do need a piece of that uh, cinematic history. Um,
3: need, every, everyone needs a pair of pants. <laughs> uh, one more piece. One more piece. What do one you? One more mean? piece. All right, I'm going to go Star Wars again, and you'll just have to forgive me. Uh, I was going to name. Um, I was going to. I went back and forth. I was. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go two more. I'm sorry. Really quick. One is. Because, um, again, you're talking about those weird movies that aren't necessarily, like, everybody's thing. Like, like I showed it to my wife, and she was just like, I never saw this. It didn't, I didn't know this movie existed. Um, a couple of years ago, out of a, uh, one of the uh, uh, prop store auctions, I bought Uther's Helmet from the beginning of Excalibur. Oh, wow. Uh, it has this great um, sort of rhino horn. It's this very distinct... Uh, helmet that you see transform when Merlin helps him sleep with the woman that, you know, uh, becomes um, Arthur's mother. And it's just Excalibur. If you love it, you love it, or you don't know it exists. So that's, that's not Star Wars. And then I was going to say, I have uh, uh, Luke Skywalker's pants and the poncho from Star Wars, from A New Hope, which were, not, Christ, Dave. which were not in prop store auctions, but Brandon helped me a lot with because some oh, uh, of his research on the Star Wars costume book. So, yeah. That's like, a great one. You, you have
2: some really good, like, you have some legitimately legendary pieces. I got I mean, some stuff.
3: Like, I got some stuff.
2: Yeah. All right, I, I got one you might like. Um, I have a uh, hand-painted from the movie enchantment under the sea dance oh character. the signs uh, and the that's prom. Very cool. oh i love yeah, that yeah yeah oh, so, like, one of those great. ones that was in the school you know hanging up and the thing that i fucking love about it is i don't know you know i don't know who if, if the art if, if it was the art director or if it was zemeckis it looks like it was made by a high school kid it's yeah. like the, the the little detailing of like oh my god this isn't it doesn't just look like it was made by an artist who was like, "Oh, this is an approximation." You know, it looks like a high school kid made it. The detailing in it is is really. I,
3: I this is I don't know how to what to describe it as, but there's a category of stuff like that that I am obsessed with. I have a uh, an Amity Real Estate sign that was on a <laughs> long jaws, and it's like what you're talking about. And I I've I, like I've always wanted from uh, there was one that bounced around briefly there was a See You Next uh, Tuesday movie poster from within American Werewolf in London. Like, fake signage in movies is, right. I, I, I go crazy oh, for you that. mean See You Next Wednesday? See You Next sorry, Tuesday. Sorry, See You Next Wednesday. Sorry. Wednesday. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry, yes, I apologize, sorry. <laughs> well,
1: that's keep where my clean. head
3: is. What keep can a, I say, fellas? You clean here. Um, yeah. <laughs> what kind of podcast is this? <laughs> <laughs> That's
2: really fun. (laughs) Ah, That that is also a great find, but it's also, you know, like sometimes you'll see the props up close, and the some things were just like, okay, they were in a hurry, they just had to make something, and they spray painted it, and you know, sometimes you can be overwhelmed by how simple or how good the movie made something look, which actually wasn't constructed very well. But then the flip side is we have a Necronomicon from Ash versus Evil Dead and inside they took the care to most of the pages have artwork in them, like Necronomicon style artwork. and, And it repeats after about halfway through the book, but it's still the care that someone took to on all these pages, write What looks like in blood, all these different, you know, graphs and, and incantations and spells and diagrams. I mean, that's also the you're getting a peek behind like the the real craftsmanship and the artistry that maybe never even appear on screen, but to the prop department as a measure of pride, they spent that extra time really Yeah, this making sure was this was, was their detailed job real I mean, as
3: they, possible. Yeah. It, they made it look incredible and craftsmanship is the word. I mean, I, that is really the word. I, I, I think so.
4: Yeah. And I think that's a huge amount of the appeal of, of, of just collecting and owning this stuff also is like you get to see the parts that you never saw in the movies. It's like, I've watched that film so many times. I know every frame it's in. I have all those frames committed to memory, but then when you have the thing in your hands and you can go, Oh my God, this is what it looked like on the inside. Or, Oh, this is how they made that function. You know, there's some very, clever stuff that these these filmmakers come up with to achieve a gag on camera and sometimes it's just fascinating to get to to digest that when it's in your hands
2: and so uh just really quickly mike let's talk about the van Eaton um 65 years of disneyland auction which is uh august 15th and 16th yes um where can people see it what are some of the headline pieces or what are some of any pieces that you're excited about they don't even have to be like the big ticket pieces like just just anything that you're excited about
5: i love this whole catalog for one thing i have great stuff in it. it's august 15th and 16th our website begalleries.com has links to a pdf of the catalog you can flip through online right there um what do i love in this catalog probably there's a bunch of 16 millimeter films that a guy named milt albright took. milt albright was one of the very early uh disneyland employees and he just parked the camera on main street and just shot buildings on main street and the footage is just incredible i was great to see the people walking you know just to see how disneyland was in 1955 uh just really really amazing stuff uh and so i really like for me personally i like those films i like that little bit of history of uh, disneyland But there's some very rare uh, opening day tickets. There's a Space Mountain ride vehicle in this auction. Just a a little bit of everything. It's a a really good-looking auction.
3: You know, there's one thing. I was gonna say the haunted mansion gravestone is really cool. God damn it, I
5: wasn't gonna mention that because I want to bid on that, Dave. How dare you? (laughs) Sorry. And that's great. And that's a great story behind it. They took that out. The guy who took it out gave it to these people and they used it as a Halloween decoration for fifty years. And this lady just called me out of the blue and says, You know, I have this tombstone that we've been putting out every Halloween, and we're just getting tired of moving it around. And, I saw, you know, just one of those things that – they're one of those weird calls that you look for. It was great. Those are the, the best calls. The ones that really surprised
2: me – like, it's no big surprise. Some of the first things to go in the Disneyland auctions are the, um, the the poster art. Original poster art goes so fast and so furiously. The thing that I was surprised that were, ended up going for, like, 25 or 30 grand are the fucking trash cans. Just like yeah. – you know, frontierland trash cans, or the New Orleans Square <laughs> trash can, or like the, like the different trash cans from
3: the different lands at Disneyland go for insane amounts. And who would have thought? I could not believe there's an estimate, and I and I believe it, but I couldn't believe it. There's a Mickey ears lamppost, a green lamppost in the catalog, and at first I was like. I was like, what the fuck? It's a lamppost. And I was just like, I guess I get it. I guess I understand. (laughs) Yeah.
5: And that's one of the most watched pieces in this auction. You know, there's uh, 15 foot tall, uh, 300 pound lamppost, you know, that somebody's going to pick up. It's amazing.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, that's a real, like, that's a real piece of Disney history. And when you think about, you know, when you think about things and the ability to acquire things, how often is someone going to get a lighting fixture from, you know, it's like it, 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 it you start sort of zeroing in on like well how special is this piece and how few of them are there and how difficult is it to acquire and then that's when the sort of you know the the cheetah element kicks in where you're like chasing something you're like that that is ultimately like when are you going to see that again so august 15th and 16th is is yep. the Disneyland auction and um and you guys work through com as well is that correct
5: icollector and live
2: also and live com um brandon what can you tell us about the 20 so 26 and 27th is the prop store auction i know that there's a nostromo in there
0: yes <laughs> the nostromo the <laughs> which nostromo has to be model.
2: like the top the tippy 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 top of the iceberg for for your auction but what else is uh, what are some of the other items in there that you're excited about
4: yeah, no, you're absolutely right. The Nostromo is the front cover piece. I mean, it is the 11 foot long model miniature. We call it a miniature, but it's it's quite a big model. Uh, and it's the primary filming model they use throughout Alien. That's, you know, that's a real star piece. Um, we have some great things from Star Wars. You know, we have a Stormtrooper helmet from A New Hope. We have a Cantina mask from A New Hope. We have a Darth Vader costume that's not film used, but it was a promotional touring costume, meaning it was worn by an actor who would go out to Toys R Us and meet kids and things like that. It's a 1977-78 official Darth Vader costume. Um, We have things from Indiana Jones. We have one of the Headpiece to the staff of Raw, one of the original headpiece oh, props.
3: Uh, don't uh, mention that piece. Don't tell people about that. <laughs> How do you like that now, Dave?
4: There we go. Uh, just
3: move yeah. along. Move along. Yeah. The,
4: the cool thing about that, most people don't realize, but there's actually two different versions of it in the film. There's there's sort of one version that they made first of all, used for the, the majority of the live action shooting. Then they came back and made a second one for insert shots because they needed to be able to see the writing, the characters that are around the edge of the prop a little bit more clearly. So this this version of it that we have is a very rare version version uh so that's a great indie piece we have a maverick helmet from top gun which is the fun one right new new top gun film coming soon i just
2: interject and say you're support you're sporting a very top gun look today (laughs) you've got the you've got the, the like the flight the flight gear headset on your hair is perfectly slicked I, I got my mask ready you to go. You got the mask, my gas on. mask That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just need to do yeah. a flyby of the tower. You just need. To do yeah. A, well, flyby.
4: maybe I'll bid on it. No, I can't bid on my own stuff. But I would. I would love to have Maverick's helmet from Top Gun. It's it's a great one. Um, and we've got stuff from the Rocketeer. We've got a very nice Rocketeer costume with the jetpack. We've got a Rocketeer helmet. Uh, we have some very cool cars in this from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and in addition to the cars dave you were talking about like the in-world signage we have some of the posters that they created for 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 uh,
3: rick dalton yes exactly
4: like like the in-world posters these posters that we have they're not actually props they're ones they made for marketing that movie but they are copies of the props that were in the film so those are very cool uh rick dalton posters as you say um and' just all kinds of things. I mean, I mentioned Phil Tippett earlier. We have stop motion puppets from Jurassic park and starship troopers. We have things going back to sci-fi classics, like silent running. We have Bruce Dern's jumpsuit oh, wow. from silent running, wow. uh, which has been consigned by Doug Trumbull, the director of that movie. Uh, we have some great artwork. It you know, was some great production artwork from close encounters of the third kind. Um, we have a, a, a great Bob peak piece for star Trek three poster artwork piece. Uh, just all kinds of things. I mean, there's almost 900 lots in, in, in total. So we try to cast a wide net with it. And hopefully there is something for everybody in there.
2: Yeah. And then how important is it to sort of keep everything themed? Because obviously, you know, like a Disneyland auction, if you're into Disneyland, you're going to watch a Disneyland stuff. But when you, when you have like a broader spectrum, do you find people are kind of jumping in and out of the auction just to kind of see the pieces that they want? Like what's the sort of the, the general viewing retention for the auction as a whole?
4: Yeah, I think you see people drift in and out because they are fairly long days. I mean, this will be a two day auction and each day is whatever it is, you know, seven or eight hours. So, I mean, that's part of why we try to organize our auctions in an alphabetical by film title so that you can kind of make your hit list and say, okay, these are the movies that are important to me. I'd like to be there for all of Star Trek but I don't need to see any of, you know, Indiana Jones or whatever a person's personal taste is. And, and you know, this au- typically this auction would be a live auction, meaning you can come out and actually bid in person. In the coronavirus age, it is now a virtual only auction, sure. meaning you can bid by phone or bid online. But again, it's, you know, you can have it going in the background. There will be a live auctioneer who's actually selling the lot so you can follow the stream. But you can also drift in and out as you go about your day and, and sort of, you know, tune in when you need to tune in for the things that appeal to you.
2: And also, just quick kudos and props to the auctioneers who keep everything going. There's a tremendous amount of pressure. People get very passionate about stuff, you know, so to keep it going in a way that keeps everyone happy and is fair and makes everything, you know, smooth, they do such a great job. And to talk for hours at a time... You know, at such a rapid rate, you know, just kind of saying facts and figures over and over and over and making sure that they notice everything and keep everything in line. Like, just such an amazing job. Do you, is there like an auctioneer school? Where do you find these folks?
4: It's 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 a good question, and, and and you know finding really great auctioneers is is something of a thing because you're trying to keep people engaged for many hours at a time, and what could be a very monotonous sort of dull thing. So it's it's a definite skill set, and as you say, hats off to all the auctioneers uh, who who do what they do. You know, we've worked with people who have had backgrounds, uh, up training, upbringing. Uh, Prior history with big auction houses like Christie's and Sotheby's, or you know, some of them come from different fields. They do benefit auctions, or they do car auctions, real estate auctions, whatever it may be. It's its own little world of of auctioneers. Um, but but the good ones are really good, and and they make a difference to the auction, and they they make it fun. You know, they make it enjoyable to watch.
2: Well, this has really been wonderful. I am so excited for both of your auctions. I'm so glad that we were able to to do this. It just, I find it to be such a wonderful, fascinating world. And again, just something that's fun to watch, even if you don't intend on buying anything. And, you know, Dave and I are extraordinarily privileged that we are able to partake in these types of things and, and acquire these things. I hope at no time did it come off like I have this thing. We're just, I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of the things that I've been able to assemble and I treat them with great reverence and respect and I do hope that you know the the because there really aren't there really aren't like pop culture like there's MoPOP is sort of a it's like a pop culture museum in Seattle and then maybe this George Lucas thing that's opening in Los Angeles will be the one but you know there are art museums and there are history museums and there are science museums but there aren't really a lot of pop culture museums and that's where I feel like it's fallen on individuals to sort of collect and curate these things and I hope that We have the ability to show them so that other people can appreciate these magical items for for what they are. Um, And especially Dave, who's worked on, I mean, just so people know, like, I'm sure they know who you are, but you've worked on some of the most incredible pop culture things, you know, Seinfeld, Saturday Night Live, The Simpsons, Veep, like, so many great things.
3: But not great prop shows, but anyway, go on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
2: Seinfeld. No, I would argue that Seinfeld probably no, Seinfeld had-,
3: had a couple of good ones, but they, but still a lot of found items. I will simply say more than there wasn't a lot of building as much building as you'd want. Like, Let's see. I, no, you wrote, no laser guns is, I guess what I'm trying to say.
2: You, I know you wrote Treehouse of horror 13 that by that time, they may not have been using cells anymore.
3: No, I have like a really cool, like, you know, digital one of one that they outputted for me, but that's about it. Unfortunately.
2: Oh, and also uh, because I don't want to forget to mention it, um, you and Brandon put together a Macquarie book, a, a book of Ralph Macquarie who did, you know, all of the amazing art for Star Wars, uh, the, the incredible paintings, and uh, and you assembled you assembled a, a, a book.
3: Yeah, it was uh, me, Brandon, and a third guy named uh, Wade Lajos, And it was one of these rare things, and I think you'll know what I'm talking about when I say this. We got to make the book that we wanted to buy. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. we just basically, <laughs> yes. like, you know how you buy a book sometimes, and you start flipping through it and go, well, I don't know, they're, they're missing this, they're missing that. Why did they do this? Why did they do that as a collector? And we were just like, We want this to be the last Ralph Macquarie book anyone ever has to make and you buy it and you're done. I mean, that was our attitude going in, you know, just like, um, and and, and that's never happened. Brandon's gotten a chance to, Brandon did a a, a Star Wars uh, costume book first, which kind of launched this, um, that he did alone. And then we kind of came together on this one and it was just, that was, that was the goal. Like you're done Buy this book. You're done.
4: Yeah, when we did the costume book, it was like, Okay, you have this many pages, see what you can do with it. When we did the Macquarie book, we sort of got to go the other way, like Dave's saying, and say, Okay, what do you guys think it should be? Is this is it is it one volume, is it three volumes, is it two volumes? And ultimately we landed on two volumes and I think the set is like twenty two pounds of literally every <sighs> doodle sketch thumbnail painting matte painting just literally anything that Ralph McQuarrie ever touched we scanned it and got it into this book
2: and by the way to- 22 pounds of McQuarrie is not a bad title
3: just throwing <laughs> that out good band name good band name but uh, <laughs> you know we we really was I mean it was a dream too because we got to go up to the, the Lucas archives oh, yeah. up, on, up at the ranch we stayed in the ranch you know motel and got to go in there every morning and And it was fantastic because we really did – the first we started with just simply, what do they have? Here's everything they have. And then we were able to sort of use, I guess, for lack of a better word, our network of just other collector friends, things that, you know, Brandon has sold over the years through Prop Store to kind of go, we know about this, we know about this. And even track down uh, a couple of, like, sort of missing pieces. There's a a piece – Brandon, how would you – you know the piece I'm talking about. The, well, the trench yeah.
4: dive? The, yeah. The, the trench dive? Yeah. So so there's this sort of famous point of view shot in the battle, the original Star Wars, the battle of the Death Star at the end of the film. They're diving in for the trench for the t- trench run, and it's the it's this sort of amazing shot where the first half of the shot, which is the wider half of the shot, is actually a Ralph McQuarrie matte painting. And then at some point there's a flash from a laser gun, yeah. and then they cut to a physical model, and then you're in the trench in the model. And, and people were sort of aware that this shot was done this way, because I think Dennis Muren had talked about it in an interview, you know, at some point in time, but no one had ever seen this artwork. And then someone actually turned up and said, oh, I have that painting. And then to get to to sort of see that painting and to get to photograph it for the book and tell that story, it was just really wonderful. Because like they said, there have been other Macquarie books, but we really wanted to be comprehensive and definitive. So it was like, if he was involved with it, we want to show it to the very best of our ability. And look, there could be some missing Macquarie artwork that's still lost the time we even found some pieces that came out of a dumpster there was a guy i met who was like yeah i was uh, eight years old or whatever it was at the time and me and my dad lived near ilm so we went every weekend and literally checked the dumpsters and he had like all this stuff nothing amazing you know there was no money in the books but they are stuff. smoothed yes.
3: out but you can kind of see the wrinkles tapes. in the paper yeah they're oh, scotch taped together
4: and it's, and it's literally like this kid yeah. amazing kid this, this guy named david he dug them out of the dumpster literally and scotch taped them back to together and we were able to triangulate it and pinpoint and say oh yeah this is mccrory this is when he was working on this piece this matte painting design um
2: god damn it that that's that's amazing <laughs> and i know that moment you're talking about because it was also um it was also immortalized in the old star tours ride before they updated yes. it at Disneyland, yes yes, yes, yes you yes, start yes. to go back into the trench and you can see the flash and then you're in the model
3: yeah um yeah, and, and, and by the way, talk about a piece that just encapsulates how goddamn skilled this guy was. Because yeah. the different the, the the painting and the model, I mean, if you can barely tell the difference that he's painting a basically a three dimensional painting of a model, and it's flawless. I mean, it's it's wild.
2: Many years ago, I had the good fortune of being able to tour the archives up at um, Skywalker, and. And it is mind-blowing. You really can't process all of it when you're seeing, like, oh, there's the original that. There's the Death Star. There are the original droids. There's the you know, the, the uh, models that they didn't use for characters that we love. One of the things that blew there's the, Howard way... the
3: There's Howard the Duck. Howard the oh, Duck. Yeah. Like...
4: <laughs> <laughs> and stunt Howard.
0: Yeah, there was a stunt Howard.
3: <laughs> uh, Howard the Duck. Like,
2: hey, you guys mind if I hang out here? Yeah, it's fine. You're fine. You can hang out here, Howard the Duck. <laughs> But the the thing that blew me away and I, I don't know if this was a Macquarie piece or not, but it's the uh, the paintings of the uh, stormtroopers on the, the shower door glass. did you did you see those? Oh, the, 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 the matte paintings
3: that they used to do on yes, the shower doors. Because, yeah. And
2: then what was explained to us was the show, a glass shower door was the exact right aspect ratio and so they ju- they're just fucking like hardware store shower doors with these amazing paintings and you see them in person and they look incredible. But then when you photograph them, they just, the the, something about painting to create dimension in a photograph, they're mind blowing when you see them photographed.
3: We were lucky enough. We, we got to, we, you know, we, we got to go up there a couple of times and, and they were the, the people, the staff up there, um, uh, Leila French and her team were just so good to us. And they really, you know, they, they helped us pull everything And look, I'm not going to lie, by the end, we definitely took a couple of breaks and got to occasionally, you know, run around a little bit and look at what we wanted to look at in between. But um, on one of the visits, we actually brought up um, Harrison Ellenshaw and Greg Barron. Greg Barron had worked as Ralph's assistant and then was in the mat shop and he himself has written books on mat painting and Ellenshaw. Uh, from uh, the son of the great Disney Ellen, you know, the other Ellen Shaw. And so they, they, who was the other mad painter. And so they were like pulling stuff out and just taking us through it, like story by story of things that they could remember. And it was, it was incredible. I mean, that's that's really great. And, and and also like, just again, you know, with what
2: you, with what you all are doing with the auctions, it's like you, you, it starts with a passion. It starts because you love it. You know you you love Ralph Macquarie, so you create something to share with the world, which is born out of your love. Do you have any Macquarie pieces, uh, Dave?
3: Yeah, I do. I mean, I think we both do. I have uh, I have some really fun sketch stuff. I mean, I, I am very partial, especially to when you can find some of like the, you know, he would work first usually in pencil, and so I have some of these pencil thumbnails of like. Early versions of C three PO where he looks like Maria from Metropolis more kind oh, of right, thing. and uh, uh, and and I have uh, an early uh, piece I got from Brandon an early kind of uh, Vader where the helmet is kind of more you know, kind of that Macquarie kind of almost Japanesey kind of helmet right. a little bit more. Right. And I love when those things are where you can kind of see him for lack of a better word inventing, you know, I don't know what else to call it, like inventing Star Wars. Um, and then um, last year, actually, out of one of the uh, – when was that? Was that in the, the last winter, Brandon? I think it know? was.
4: I think it was last September.
3: Yeah, yeah last September, um, out of the prop store auction, the first ever – it was a Jedi, one of the, the, the main portfolio plates. Remember, they used to sell the portfolios of the stuff. Mm-hmm. So this is one of the actual – finished production paintings came up for auction it's vader in the uh, death star coming out of the shuttle with the red imperial guard there and all the stormtroopers and stuff um and it's the finished macquarie production painting which i think is one of the only few in private hands george has them all um but this one was, uh, it was, uh, was it was was it who uh, who it
4: was? Uh, it, was uh, it was Robert Watts was the designer. Yeah, Robert Watts was yeah. one of the producers of all three films. So it was, and George had given it to him, and you know he just decided that he had had his time with it, and it was time to move it on. And like Dave's saying, one of the very few that's out there in private hands, and it's just gorgeous. I mean, to see it in person, it's just. I mean, the,
3: the colors, the work is incredible. The dimension, and even in again a production painting that isn't used as a map painting, that sense of dimension. And and you know just to tie this back a little bit into some of the stuff we were talking about earlier i do feel like i'm a keeper of that piece like like i I mean more so than many of the pieces i have in my collection i truly feel like it belongs in a museum you know to get all raiders you know what i mean like like i i feel like like i get to have this for a while he had it now i have it and yet you know and it's my job again and i love the connection to the book because we did the book which is you know i get to you know, proselytize the word of Macquarie and the work of Macquarie. And I get to have some of this in my collection and then hopefully other people will get stuff too someday, but uh, it's an exciting piece to have. So the book's
2: available uh, just anywhere. People buy books. Uh,
3: your logo bookseller, Amazon, etc. I recommend shipping it cause it's heavy. <laughs> <laughs> 22
2: pounds of Macquarie. It would be funny if from now on uh, your deal memos, when you get a job are like, Dave Mandel's not asking for cash. He wants to be paid in matte paintings. Uh...
3: Honestly, I would make that deal with Lucas anytime he wants. If they had just said like, pick a helmet, I'd have done whatever they wanted. I'd have, I'd have rewritten all three prequels for free. Just pick a helmet. So Yeah. Well, thank
2: you for curating and preserving pop culture. Thank you for creating such wonderful pop culture. <laughs> And thanks to Mike and to – oh, and uh, do you want to – Brendan, do you want to give the plug for where people can go for the Prop auction, just PropStore.com?
0: PropStore.com,
4: that's it. Yeah, it's all there on our own bidding platform. All the details, the catalog, the online catalog, PDF catalog is all there. And, of course, if you have any questions, just reach out and we'll get you taken care of.
2: Oh, and if someone has a piece that they're curious about, oh, my grandfather, it's this thing in a garage – do they just send send y'all a, an email? Uh, I can help with that. Just, uh, at, Dave at, will at David come. H Mandel on Twitter. This isn't worth anything, but I'll
3: give you a hundred dollars.
2: It's it. from
3: Star Wars. Just reach out to me. I work for Brandon. I'll take care of it. It'll be good. Yeah. Star Wars?
2: I'm not familiar with that. Is that a? Was that a? Well, I have
3: a card. I have a card. It looks like it's handwritten, but it's cool. It's a real card. At uh, Proctor.com, our motto
4: is: We'll get Dave to pay you more. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thanks again for everything that you do thank you for taking my money and I look forward to uh, seeing you at these two auctions. Again, Ben Eaton, uh, Disneyland auction, August 15, 16, prop store memorabilia auction, uh, August 26 and 27. Please stay safe and healthy y'all. And I I look forward to seeing you in the virtual auction space.
4: Thanks Chris.
0: Thanks for having me. Take care.
2: The end. ID 10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito.
0: Sing along to new favorite songs, try your luck at Titanic tongue twisters, have some fun with wondrous wordplay, and most importantly, bring your family along for all of the adventures in the Cat in the Hat Cast. Follow the Cat in the Hat Cast on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the Cat in the Hat Cast early and ad-free on Wondery+. Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Wondery Kids Plus on Apple Podcasts today.